Blog Talk Radio. Digital matters, cultural matters, political matters, academic matters, writing, and just in general, human um, human culture. So we are here Saturday, um, the last Saturday in January, January 30th. This has been quite a month. Um, I have a guest with me this afternoon. Um, Vanessa Maddox. But before we do that, a um, couple of a uh, couple of announcements. For one, um, this particular station does need support. This is not supported financially um, by my university. Um, there's nothing negative about that. I just haven't asked yet. <laughs> I haven't asked yet because there's something about having that independent voice. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't support it, and it doesn't mean that they don't recognize it. And as you can see, um, with our chief academic officer, uh, my dean, um, president of my university, and several faculty members from UDC, as well as faculty from other colleges and universities, such as um, Rhode Island Community College, um, Columbia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, Please do support this station through Cash App, Dr. Cat, D-R-C-A-T, Dr. Cat, meow. Um, also, please do check out my blog, AfrofuturismScholar.com, and check out um, my posts, 
as well as my poetry, as well as updates on my research. Um, I'm doing some work with regard to digital humanities, Afrofuturism, um, African American lit, Black women's lit, etc., etc., etc. So please do that. Also, before I forget, um, as you all know, I did perform one of my poems for one of the salons um, at the pleasure of the Irish American Writers and Artists um, Organization. They're in New York City, but they have members from all over the world. And you don't have to be Irish. You don't have to be Irish American to join or support. And so this Saturday, this coming Saturday, next Saturday, February 6th at 2 p.m., there will be a special screening and Q&A for a, doc, uh, for a film, a screening of a film. This changes everything. So they're going to have a screening followed by a Q&A with the producers of this documentary about gender discrimination in Hollywood. And I think it's really timely that they're doing this. I'm glad that we are um, talking about these issues. We spent the last month fighting Nazis, neo-Nazis, racists, misogynists, homophobes, transphobes, um, people who are classist, um, people who are colorist, people who are just in general, in my opinion, in need of DLC, love, care, healing. Because if you are a racist, if you are a misogynist, if you are a classist, colorist, homophobe, transphobe, if you are a person who is, who is an anti-Semite, you're sick. You're in need of help. You're in need of prayer. And you definitely need to be held accountable for that. But at the same time, we need to do the work to figure out how to deal with this anger, this rage, this hatred that is plaguing American society to such an extent that we allow half a million people to drop dead rather than do the right thing because some people wanted a racist to return to the White House. So today we have someone here, Vanessa Maddox. She is CAO of VR Maddox Consulting, LLC. Um, she is also a member of the Loudoun County Chamber of Commerce. Um, she has a community think tank. Um, she's a founder of Black Wolf. In, in, in Loudoun as well. Um, Vanessa and I have a very long, decades-long history. We've known each other for nearly all our lives, um, almost, um, starting with um, being roommates at Clark College. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, Vanessa Maddox, CEO of VR Maddox Consulting, LLC. How are you? 
I am great. I'm going to have to uh, carry you around with me and have you introduce me that way all the time. It's wonderful. But it's true. It's true. It's so, true. you know, I mean, you know how I... Sake, we saw each other in Vermont, of all places. Of all I places, know. Vermont. I, I always think about that. And uh, you know how I can't count. So I had to use a calculator and figure out how long we've known each other. And we've known each other for 37 years. 37 years. So 37 years ago, I graduated from high school, went off to Clark College, had this wonderful roommate. And despite the fact that within that semester, that first semester, I was raped, um, you were still there for me. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. even, even able to really talk about it. I didn't know how to say what it was. We weren't even talking about the rape, were we? Not during that time? No, no, that, that's not what it was called. Back then, yeah. no, no, and, it wasn't. Uh, but, but, but that wasn't the only thing that we experienced. I recall us dancing around on those rocks and going to all of the events that the fraternities and sororities had. And, um, and let's not forget, young Democrats. Oh my goodness, young. That was one of young. The, that was one of the highlights. That was one of the highlights. Um, yes. Yeah, that's yes. when I became a Democrat. Right, and we met, and we, we and met, I was still we, yeah. right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, remember I we was, met uh, uh, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King's widow, right? We met her. We sure we did. Her. We sat in the we sat in the front row with uh, Miss Coretta. Miss Coretta, yes, very nice lady, very nice lady. And then, of course, let's also not forget that as part of Young Democrats, we were also, um, remember Bunny? Of course. I remember Bunny. Of course, of course. And now Bunny is doing her own thing. Um, But Bunny was at Spelman. We were at Clark. And so this was part of the Atlanta University Center. Rah, rah. Mm -hmm. Shout out to all of the HBCUs. Shout out, shout out, shout out. But you also had another experience with an HBCU, and which one was that one? UDC. 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 And let me just tell you about UDC. So after Clark, after I came back to D.C. in 1990, because I partied too much in Atlanta and flunked out. Well, I didn't flunk out. My father said he wasn't paying for anybody with a 2.3 GPA. <laughs> you know what? But see, ACL back during the mid and latter 80s, it was on and popping. My dad had to snatch me up and take me to D.C. So... I did not want to leave Atlanta. I I left Atlanta kicking and screaming because I intended to stay and live there the rest of my life. And my father said, well, I'm not paying for anybody to make a 2.3 GPA when I know you can have a 4.0. You're just partying a little too much. You're having having too good of a time. So here's here's the deal. You come back up here. 
finish school here, and then you can go back. That was the deal. That was the deal. That was that. God rest you slow. Your dad, your dad was, your, 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 your parents, good people, good people, good people. But I can't figure out whether you look like your mom or your dad. You look like both of them. You do. Perfect. I, look, I looked more like my dad and my brother. Well, I looked like all of but them. But you sound you like your mom. I looked like all of them, but right. now that I'm older, I look just like my mother. Oh, my God. I walk by the mirror and scare myself because I see her. <laughs> you look right? like I was speaking to myself. Yes. I was like, okay, do I look like, do I look like which grandmother? Because I, I, I have the turpin, the turpin eye, the slant, but my mother's eyes are large. And so people are, they look at me, they don't know what, they don't know what, what to think. So there's, I'm a, you know, it's wonderful when you can look at yourself in the mirror and see your family. Yeah. You see your mother. You see your father. Um, my smile, that comes from my dad. He has the exact same smile that I do. Um, you know, the, the, the perfect color blend and whatnot and all of those things and family. Family, and we look, and we can sometimes look at other people and see, and wonder, are we related to them? And we are. Mm-hmm. We're all related to each other, but sometimes we forget that, don't we? Well, and we I don't both, forget that because yeah. I don't. I don't forget that because you just got to know your history. We all yes. came over on different ships. Yes. We all came over on different yes. ships, but we're all related. Right, we're all we're all, we're we're all related. My brother did one of those blood quantum tests that I refuse to do because I don't want anybody to own my DNA. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm you know I'm suspicious of that. But he did it, and so supposedly, according to him, I don't know if I believe him or not. Our folks are East African and not West African. I don't know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. As many times as I've encountered people coming from Senegal, coming from Ghana, coming from Nigeria, I don't know. But then again, people travel, migrated. And, and I don't know. I guess if you don't know enough about um, the various African nations and the various um, African peoples, we don't all look the same. And it just so happens that because we are descendants, of people who were stolen and brought here that we could very well have both East African and West African as well as from other parts of the world because one of the other pieces that was discovered is that apparently part of my people are Persian. Mm. Interesting. At least it's an interesting thoughts about migration um, these are some interesting thoughts about various nations of people, how people have, um, you know, have traveled and whatnot, and some of the errors that some of these politicians make when they point fingers at black and brown people and say, well, we don't want you to cross over into our borders. We want to come into yours. Um, some of those things. And this past administration, we got a really tough lesson 
on that, didn't we? Yeah, a real yeah. tough lesson on what happens when you have groups of people who are dehumanized and literally locked into cages, children literally being sold, women and girls having their uteruses um, snatched. That is the Trump administration. Unfortunately, there are some people who still support him, and not all of those people who support him are white. There are some black and brown people who support him, and some of them are on my campus, unfortunately, which is why we're having some problems. But it's not unusual. Um, Allegedly, some of the past presidents of, say, Francis Howard, Hampton, some of the other um, HBCUs have tended to be political conservatives, part of the um, black respectability mindset um, that says, in fact, if we cooperate with white supremacists, we'll get rewarded, we'll get money, we'll get positions. That's Clarence Thomas. Well, what has been your um, experience? Because I want to hear from you, because I don't want to be the only one talking. Because first and foremost, you have a history as a politician, do you not? I definitely do. What's here? I definitely do. So, um, not to tell my life story on this podcast, we only have an hour. But wow. um, well, no, but you, but you've got something to share with. Because remember, some of my students are listening, and they're wondering, and and they're wondering whether they can move up the food chain the way that you did, the way that mm-hmm. you've been able to move up successfully. You started out here in D.C., living in D.C. You went off to an HBCU. You came back to an HBCU. Did you finish? Yeah, well, I definitely want to want to talk to the to your students because uh, yeah, they they are uh, going to have to take over where we left off. So we've been doing it for oh thirty seven years. Yes. Yeah. So, um, my political career started in the eleventh grade in high school. I was, um, you know, I was a I was a straight A student all four years through high school. And my guidance counselor apparently recognized my talent and that I was a good student. And she called me into her office one day, and I went to all-girls Catholic high school. So you don't get called into the guidance counselor's office or the principal's office because either you're in trouble or something else is going on. But usually it's not a good thing. So... I got called into the guidance counselor's office, and she said, hey, listen, you know, you're one of our best and brightest students. I want, I have this uh, work-study job I think you should take. And I said, work-study, what's that? She said, that's when you go to school uh, most of the day, and then after school, you go to a job. I was like, oh, and and in my mind, ding 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 ding, my own right. thing I thought. Right. Okay. And so right. I said, well, I don't know. I said you're gonna have to ask my mother. So she called my mother and explained it to her, 
And uh, by the time I got home, my mother was like, your guidance counselor called and told me about a, a job for you. He said, do you want the job? And not knowing what in the world the job was, I had no idea. I said, yes, I want it. And sight unseen, I took it. And that was the best decision of my, well, one of the, say, one of the top five best decisions I've ever made. And it set the stage. It set the stage and was the catalyst for my career to this day. So I went to work on Capitol Hill. I was an intern. I was a gopher. Go get this, right. go get that, deliver this package, answer the phone, you know, right. uh, get coffee, help with meetings, whatever, whatever they wanted to do. And it was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. And the right. people that, but this is the important part for your students to hear. The people that took me under their wing at that job and the ones that recognized something in me, I wouldn't be here today without those people. Okay? So it's very, very, very important for folks with positions of influence where they can make change directly. It's important for us to take a hold of a bright student that you see something in and mentor them. They should Mm -hmm. not have to seek you out. You're not that important. Let's start with that. Okay. I hope you got some, I I hope you got some important corporate people listening, listening, because I got a lot to say to them. You're not Mm -hmm. that important. Stop Say that again. Say that again louder, even louder. Say it again. <laughs> For the people in the back, you're not the people in the back. you're not that important. You're not. And why is that? That that's because if you're at a place of influence in your life right now, that means that someone helped you get there. So why should you stand on top of your pedestal in your king's chair and look down at other young people coming up and say, well, I'm just so important. I got all this stuff to do and I have no time and I just, I don't have any time to mentor. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes. You always have time to Because in, in my mind, people that say they're too busy and don't have time, that's not their problem. Their problem is poor time management. Mm-hmm. That's their problem. And because management. human beings, human beings will do whatever they want to do. So if you want to mentor a young person coming up, then you're going to find the time to do it, and you're not going to tell them and act like you're, you're too good to mentor. So if I didn't have such strong mentors in my life, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. And the other thing is we as adults, and professionals and business owners and PhDs and whatever we are, 
we should be giving without being asked. And, uh, and uh, we should be focusing on uplifting others. Because when you uplift others, your blessings are going to flow automatically. And that is the truth. So let me tell you about what happened to me when my father um, came down to, he took a, didn't I think he took a bus or a plane? I don't remember. All I know is this, it was my car. He fixed it. And we got on the road and drove to Washington, D.C., where I stayed with my cousin Clifford and his wife Kathy, and they're both um, they they both are, are are up in heaven. So God rest both their souls um, for being so generous and so giving. And neither one of them had college degrees. Clifford was from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Clifford had an interest. Clifford had an interesting past that I that um that I'm that I'm not going to share because you know he's not here to defend himself, but I will tell mm-hmm. you this: he gave me some street knowledge on how to survive this city. But the other person who taught me how to survive this city also does not have a college degree. Grew up here, but originally came from South Carolina. And that's my friend, Ollie Robinson. Ollie Robinson is, um, I consider her to be one of my sisters in the Lord. And you're another one of my sisters in the Lord. But Ollie, and Ollie is, and Ollie is, is, is still around. Ollie is retired and living in the area. Um, and her daughter finished college and um, married well and, works for the government and you know they have three children they, they, they're living very well but that would not have happened had it not been for the fact that she had a mother who surrounded her with other people who took her under their wing and so that's what Ollie did for me and I worked as a secretary and I really did not know how to handle the city this is a city that will eat you alive if you're not careful. And I'm not just talking about young folks because I know somebody right now who's sitting sitting up in his crib right now trying to figure out how to, how to deal with this town. Man got all kind of advanced degrees, making all kind of money, still unhappy. And so this is a city where if you're not careful, it will eat you alive, will it not? Hello? I'm here. Oh, okay. I don't know what happened with my phone. So, yeah, this is one of these towns that will eat you alive. And But I also have to to acknowledge the fact that your parents took me under their wing. And I stayed with them for some time. And if I haven't thanked them or you properly, I'm doing that right now. Because if it had not been for them, I really would have been floating out there, would not have had too many options. And so there's something to what? be said about the community, the black community. Taking community. Young folks. Community, is, mm. community is the key word. Yes. 
Community is yeah. the key word. And I feel it's so perhaps one of the reasons why we ended up in such a negative situation such as what we experienced um, within the last couple of weeks is because people forgot that, forgot community. If you're community, then you know that um, you kind of have this kind of sense. If you have a, a sense of community, then you know that a bunch of men, um, a bunch of scraggly men showing up um, to string up um, rape and murder, that's not something that we should be promoting. That's not the American way, is it? It shouldn't be. It's not. But if you have a no, sense of, right, right. But if you have a sense of community, then you know that that's wrong, and you're first of all, you're not going to participate in it. Second of all, you're going to you're going to stop it. So what happens? Well, I I tend to think that that's not the case for everyone, Sherry. No, no, I don't think you are. No, it's just a, it's just a different different opinion. But in in my mind, being a being someone that's been in politics all her life and uh, been in different rooms all my career, um, I don't feel that those insurrectionists those seditionists. I don't necessarily think that they didn't come from a community, but mm-hmm. you have to, people have to realize that mental illness mm. is behind all that. Mental yes. illness is behind what happened at the Capitol. Mental illness, hatred, and racism, those three. Clap, clap, because clap to that. And, and and you and I, are on, we are actually on the same page. I guess that was what I was rolling towards, and maybe I didn't say it right. And, that, and, and that's to say that if you are in the right space, mentally and spiritually, mm-hmm. then you know the difference between right and wrong. You know that it's not exactly. right. Right. You know that you're not supposed to be doing that. You know good and well if you saw a bunch of teenagers, a bunch of kids doing that, and you grab them up. By the scruff of the neck and say enough. So how is it that you got these grown men, these fathers, these grandfathers, these um, soldiers, some of them, politicians, mm-hmm. businessmen, and some women? How is it, who are mothers, let grandmothers? Me, let, me, let me let me break it down for you in another way, right? Okay. So a lot of people have asked the question that you just asked, okay? And let me just keep it fundamentally simple. Okay. Everything that you learn as a child, you learn at home first. Okay? True. So my youngest son, who's now almost 17, when he was in the third grade, he was called a racial slur, third grade. Mm. That's around the time it's going to happen in America. Yep, that's what it, that's okay. when it first happened to me. Third grade. So third grade. when we went up to the school, because I told my husband I will burn that school down. <laughs> I was 
I was kind of joking, kind of wasn't joking, all right? So when we went up to the school, when we went up to the school, we had a meeting. The principal called a meeting with the other, the kids' parents and me and my husband. And let me just say this. The reason why she did that is because I stayed up at that school. I was always there. Everybody knew mm-hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. I believe firmly that if I hadn't been so visible at my kid's school, she wouldn't have even called a meeting. She would have just dismissed it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't even know who who Jameson's parents are. You know, forget about this, right? So we went to the meeting at the school, and we met the parents. And what's the first thing the parents said to us? We don't know where he heard that from. (laughs) Oh, you don't? You know where he heard it from. He heard it at home, either from Mm -hmm. you or grandparent or relative. That's where he heard it. Mm -hmm. Don't try to tell me Mm -hmm. otherwise. It starts at home. So when you got a bunch of insurrectionists storming the hallowed halls of the Capitol building where I used to work as a kid, well, and you wonder where they that, and you right. and you wonder where they learned that hatred from. They learned it at home, people. They learned, it, learned it, they learned it. They at home, and as a as a side memory, I do recall that you took us, the girlfriend group, you took us down to that very hall. Those pictures, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, they yeah. took that, that beautiful hallway with those beautiful beautiful paintings and sculptures, and they just trashed it. Trashed it. Trashed it. And and when that stuff at the Capitol was happening, I remembered how we went to the Capitol, and we were in the rotunda, and we took that picture of the girlfriend group board underneath the Declaration of Independence. Okay? Things like that just don't happen. And you can't just go in to the Capitol. If you have baggage, you have to, you know, you've got to, you got to check it in. You know, mm-hmm. you, you might end up having to check in your your coat. They're very, you know, you've got to go through a process. There's a reason why, and you know, and, and I kept kept seeing this, as you know, you and I, we kept seeing this. If it was black folks, they would have shot them. They sure enough was. Yeah, I don't think you would have. I don't think we would have been able to even get inside. No, absolutely not. So I'm glad you yeah. brought that picture up. I'm glad you brought that picture up because I still have it on my dresser to this day. And um, when you share this podcast link, I'm going to share a a photo of that picture and, and post it as well. Yeah, please send that because I want to put that on my made, blog. We made we made history that day, and and guess how and guess how that happened. You know how that happened? How did that I called happen? up a friend. I called up a friend and said, "Hey, friend, you work for Senator Warner. This is what I want to do for my group. Can you make it happen?" And he said, "Absolutely, Vanessa. I can make it happen. That's how that day happened." <laughs> Exactly, but there's but absolutely see, no way that that would have happened see, had you had, had you had a bunch of bunch of roughnecks showing up. 
tearing up things. Right. Right. I mean, I hand I hand picked y'all. I hand picked y'all. First of all, okay. And talking right. to your students, talking to your students again. It is critically important, students, that while you're in college, undergrad, that you choose friends that will be with you for 37 years. And you choose people to come into your life that will be a ride or die for you. When I call ride or die, friends, and, and ride or die, but here's the other piece to remember. Ride or die, even when y'all ain't always talking. And what that right. basically means is this. You got family members, you got friends, sometimes you get into that, da, 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 argument, fight, whatever. But does that mean that you no longer love that person, that friend, that family member? No. My brother and I are not talking. I still love him. I don't know where he is, but I love him. This is the same for my parents. My parents, they love, they, they love Marvin. We all love him. We don't know where he is. Yeah. And if you're listening, my brother, you still got my phone number, and even if you don't, you still got my email. <laughs> and so well, that's, those so are the let me, let, me, let me add something um, to what I was saying. Um, it's really important to build, to start building the community Yes. In college, freshman year. Yes. And that community is going to take you through the rest of your life and career. So, so you will I'm a never college professor. To, I'm a college professor at a, at, a, at, a, at a city college. How do, I, how do I generate that? And how do I help students do exactly that? I'm just going to have to come down there and, and give a talk on this because I, this is what I specialize in. But well, then you're invited. To, you're invited. You, you're invited. Thank you, and I would love to do that. But let me, let me give you a five-minute, five-second five second answer to that. So okay. when, you're, when you're building a community, now back in the day we didn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Clubhouse or whatever else we have now. But when you're building a community, that means you are being intentional about who you let in your life and in your circle. Intentionality. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And yes. Yes. That, and when I was in the eleventh grade, I didn't realize I was building a community that would last me thirty seven years. I didn't know that. And but I'm willing to bet you I'm willing to bet you that you still have people who you talk to that time. I have people from the first grade that I'm still close with. Wow. First grade. Wow. So not everybody can be as intentional as I was, but now that I'm telling you guys this, you're going to think about who's in your life, who's in your, like my friend says, who's in your front row. So think about your life as a theater. You're a theater and you got a front row. Who's sitting in that front row of that theater clapping for you and not hating on you? Right. She wrote, exactly. she wrote a whole book about that, right? Right. So exactly. think about your life 
and who is in your front row. Those are the people that are going to be that are going to ride or die with you through thick and thin, and they are also going to support you when you have a million dollars and when you have two dollars. That's the important thing. True. True. So everybody true. walks around this. Oh, you're my friend. Oh, she's my friend. Oh, he's my friend. Ain't up. Ain't every everybody ain't your friend. You nope. got to know what friend means. And then you, know you, have to only, you only have to let people in that are supportive, loving, mm. that you know, like, and trust. It's called the KLT factor. Know, like, and trust. I'm getting ready to trade. No, Please okay. do. You put it on the podcast, so it's, you know, you need to, you need to go ahead and, and file that paperwork right away. So, I, I so, am, let me... Let me amend that. I am trademarking that right now. I'm in the process. So um, that's the key to building a community. Now, let me give you the 2021 version of building a community. All right. Okay. I have a lot of people. I have a lot of people that I uh, mentor and coach. And the first thing they say when they come to me, well, Vanessa, I want to start a business, but I don't know anybody. Well, you do know people. You do know people. But if you want to build a community relatively quickly, all you do is go online and create a Facebook business page. Then you create an Instagram business page. And you start talking about your business or your brand, and you invite people to come along with you. That's the 2021 version of building your own community. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between doing something like that and Mm -hmm. doing something that may not necessarily be geared towards starting a business, but more along the lines of sharing um, your creative writing or sharing your your literary work? same it's the same premise if you're just sharing your share you're sharing your talents with the world ah, there we go there we same go. premise i talk same about principle. business because you know i'm a business coach and that's what i do but if you are a right. painter you're a, a singer if you make blankets crochet blankets if you make candles you have a talent that you want to share with others and that is how you build your community. So what would you say, what would you say to those people um, on the third floor at UDC who are trying to figure out how to get more um, people from the seventh and eighth ward if they were trying to get them to come back um, to UDC and not look at UDC as a last resort. What do you think UDC needs to do? UDC needs to go to those people, not expect those people to come to UDC. Go into the community and talk to the people. That's how they do it. You don't so have to have we're a in the middle. We're, 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 right. So we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. How do you do that digitally? 
when I yeah, when I say go to the people, I don't mean get in your car and drive to Ward Eight. Okay, I hope, I hope folks understand. <laughs> right, unless right, you right. want to, unless you want to, you can double mask. I've up been there plenty there. Of time. I don't know. I don't right, know. Right. But digitally, right. digitally, you can. Well, like I said, build a community, and they will come. But you have right. to be intentional. There's that word again intentionality you have to be you have to have a heart for people and not a heart for you getting kudos for doing it who cares about you that's important about this right 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 Right? so right well it's actually one of the reasons why i've never understood why for instance president mason um vice president potter their CAO Potter, um, why they have not done any Instagram live chat, which is a really, really immediate way of contacting people, talking to people. Um, Fundraising can come in many different ways. That's the purpose of having a first, you know, a a president and first lady, you know, presenting. I've never understood why, why the Masons have not, gone on Instagram and done instant chats or talked to various churches. You realize how many churches are here that we could be talking to and encouraging ministers and encouraging um, members of those churches with those Sunday schools. There's so many different ways. And I've never understood why, you know, when it comes to talking and I guess that's why we, you and I are talking, because I've had people ask me, why do you have this blog? Why do you have this podcast? Why do you talk? And I said, well, why can't we? Why shouldn't we? I teach right. writing. I'm teaching that. And I'm saying to people, yes, you do need to talk. When we had our, when we had our, our semester um, start, and keep in mind, it's January 4th, two days before the insurrection. Um, so we had our professional development day. The CAO spoke. And maybe about two minutes after he finished, um, I had a grand mal seizure. That was mm. the reaction. That's the reaction. And so there's been some indications that he needs to work on his way of talking to people. And, and, and I keep saying to people, well, if that's how my body is reacting, how are students reacting, how are faculty, particularly older faculty or faculty with mental illness or mental challenges, how do people, how do people period? And then, of course, with the most important piece is the president did not address the faculty at all. We have yet to get a get anything. We got we got a letter after the after the, the, the insurrection. And of course what I've also noticed is that people don't like to actually say that there was an insurrection. Um, the president has attempted to talk about things like racism, but people don't want to talk about white supremacy, white male supremacy. And so there's no conversation. So if you're trying to advertise your school as a safe place for people who have been historically oppressed, but you have nothing to say about 
who you are, what you represent, what makes this place a safe place, what makes this an HBCU as opposed to HBCU light, which is what our students have started calling UBC. If you have nothing to say. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> HBCU light, yeah, somebody needs to, somebody, somebody needs to go ahead and, and HBCU light. That, yeah, that's maybe, and maybe that might be the intent. That's pretty much what happens when you decide to embrace um, gentrification as your model. If you decide that your model student, your model faculty, your model administrator is white, male, upper class, heterosexual, able-bodied, um, well, that kind of cuts out pretty much everybody in the city, um, pretty much. And by that, I mean, yes. Uh-oh. It has dropped. All right, folks. So let's put this on pause while we figure out where our – oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm here. Sorry. Oh, I was like, oh, my God, we lost our caller. So here's the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is the following, that D.C. is truly a diversity. Um, UDC is diverse as well. But if the diversity is not embraced, but in fact the only thing that's being embraced is the idea or notion that the only people that we should be pleasing are heterosexual, upper-class, able-bodied, white men who are gender-conforming or relationship-conforming. It is possible to be, you know, to, to be a... Uh, to be a straight white man but not necessarily perform your gender the way that society says that you should be performing it, i.e., we expect that every, we expect all adults to be heterosexual, be married by the age of 30 with, with children. But what if you don't follow that? Our society seems to feel as though we should somehow, you know... So in other words, I, I guess what I'm saying is the following, that... UDC is a public university. Um, DC itself is one of those places where you can be whatever you are as long as you're law-abiding, and you should be able to be successful. But if we're going to teach our young people, and particularly our black and brown people, in particular our black and brown people who are working class and underclass, how to break in, I feel as though there must be a much more deliberate effort on the part of those of us who are privileged. You and I are privileged. We're black women, yes. Um, but we're privileged. We have a place to lay our hands. Um, you got to send your kids to college. You know, I have health insurance, and so do you. We are college educated, which makes us, and we have these experiences. We have so much to share. What do you think is keeping our own people from taking up that challenge? Well, I want to go back and answer your first question about how UDC can uh, conduct outreach um, sure. Video and video is both king and queen. Okay, mm. video is 
video is easy and cheap. So if the school is being intentional about reaching out to those two wards in which they want to uh, get uh, to communicate with, then they need to assign someone as a social media specialist, and all that person does is uh, conduct and organize video chats for the leadership of the school. And they have a different ah. person on every week. They have a different person on every week. And they are intentional about it. It's not hard. It's not hard. I do it every single day. All right? right. So do I. So when you, when you call yourself a leader in America, you are expected to think outside the box, to push forward progressive, innovative ideas, and then execute on them. Right. Now, if you're an introvert, you're going to have to work that out. You're going to have to find a way to communicate to the masses as an, extra, as an introvert. Oh, All right. President Mason, he is, he's a nice All right. guy, but he's an, intro, he's an introvert. Let me finish. He's going to have to work that out, Sherry. Okay. And you're going to have to, going to, have to find a way and others like him are going to have to find a way to come out of that turtle shell they put themselves in, work it out and lead. It's not hard. Yeah. It's yeah. a challenge. But it's not hard. It is. Okay. But it's, it, so look, I, you know, I, I go to, I go, to, I go to counseling uh, myself. I do it once a month. I was trying to do it twice a month, but I can't afford it. Um, but counseling really helps me. The truth of the matter is, I am not an extrovert. I've had people assume me to be an extrovert. And I don't know. When you first met me, was I, was I out there? No, no, because I don't know no. what your impression of me was. No, not at all. Um, my, 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 my impression 37 years ago of you is that you were um, a nice girl from the Midwest, your first time away from home, as it was my first time away from home. Uh, we were raised in black households, um, and we were educated. That's all I knew about you, yeah. about right. everybody. I'm, that's all I knew about well, everybody. Well, I knew something else about you. I knew something that, else about that, you. I knew that you. I knew. I knew that you were on the right page. Remember that time we were in that? What was that? They used to make us go to church. Um, they used to make yeah. us go to church. Remember when? Uh, when the minister told us that? Oh well, no, we're going to hold hands. We're not going to put, put our fists up. <laughs> <laughs> and we were the only two. We were like, no, nah, fuck that shit. We put not this up. <laughs> Everybody yeah. was mad at us. And we, we stood in the auditorium and we held our fists up and we right. represented. I don't remember if we got in trouble or not, but we did it. Nope. And this, this is the other thing I want to say to your students. Fight for your convictions. Do what you know is right. Challenge right. authority at every turn. I'm 54 years old. I still challenge authority to this day. 
Fuck yeah, that's right. Well, look, just I'm secretary of I'm, I'm, sec- I'm secretary of my union, just, and, I'm, just and, and I am just because you're in charge and just because you're in a position of authority does right. not mean you know everything. Nope, you do not, and that is why colleges and universities that are healthy have shared governance and collective bargaining. Colleges and universities that are dictatorial, totalitarian, and are eager to chase away independent thinking, are eager to chase away academic freedom. Um, Those are places that um, do everything that they can to make sure that people are not able to speak or to express themselves or to frighten people into silence. That's what we have right now, unfortunately. Um, But it doesn't mean that everybody is going along with it. Obviously, I'm not, because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about this, and I certainly wouldn't have referred to our esteemed President Mason as Ronald or Ron. That's a no-no. But according to one of my coworkers, when we had our faculty senate meeting, she seemed to be upset because I was smoking a cigarette. Oh, Stephanie can see it. Uh, the CAL can see it. I said, I don't even know if they can see it or not. If they want me to quit smoking, they need to quit making this place stressful. We're making it toxic. Then I'll quit smoking. How about that? People have to. What is it that we said before we started? You cannot expect somebody to give you power. You should take it. Right. 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 Something our people seem to not understand. I don't know. Maybe we need to. Maybe we need to get people to read more France for all. Read uh, wretched, read wretched of the earth, <laughs> and understand well, I, that. And understand, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not. I'm not going to comment why our people don't take to that. I have my opinions about that, but I won't comment on that right now. But well, what I will say from what Vanessa, I want to hear from, it. Well, I will say, that's a whole nother show. I will say from my perspective, I Go ahead. don't, I don't uh, acquiesce to the school of thought that says I have to, quote unquote, play the game so I don't upset the good white people. I don't acquiesce to I don't believe in that, and I don't do that. And why if not? Someone, if, if someone else says to me, Vanessa, you know, we got to play the game. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we okay. don't. Because okay. I am a confidence mentor and a confidence coach, and if your confidence and self-esteem are at a level where you can operate life, go through life without playing the white supremacist game, right? then you're just fine. I don't play games. Yeah, you're just fine. Right. Right. Well, it, it, I, I find it interesting. I got into this business in the first place because I did not want to um, – I didn't want to go corporate. Um, I could have done law school. Um, 
but I wanted to I wanted to be free. I actually wanted to just do, go ahead and do uh, an MFA. I would have been happy at it. But I actually had someone tell me at UDC, no, you should get a PhD. And the person who said that to me, um, who first said that to me, was not my um, mentor, Dr. Andrews Taylor, God rest his soul. Um, it was actually Chester Wright, Dr. Chester Wright. When I came back to D.C. to teach at UDC, um, well, Pat made it, and then he was the chair. And he wasn't so nice then. Um, that he wasn't nice at all. <laughs> That's another show. But it was an important piece of advice. Do I regret it? No. Do I feel like I, do I, feel like I would like to have an MFA? There's a part of me that says, sure, why not? But has it kept me from publishing poetry? No. I have published poetry. Has it kept me from writing? No. The PhD teaches you a different kind of writing, and you sometimes have to put that on pause in order to write creatively or to speak creatively. But one of the things that, that I do like about having a PhD, a humanities PhD, is that you don't lose the the drive to express, to share, to know, to discover, um, which is something that I feel as though is missing from much of these uh, much of, of 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 what I've seen of higher education and in particular at UBC. It's like a a drive to, to kill creativity, to kill it, um, to kill ideas. I and yet we that. want to attract, yeah, and, and, and yet we want to attract students. So it's just like, well, how can you attract students when you're saying to them, if you come here, we're going to kill your creativity and teach you how to be calm in a wheel. That shouldn't be our message. That shouldn't be, it really should be equity imperative. But right now, I don't see equity imperative being practiced. I see domination, imperialism imperative. In other words, um, all of those practices that led to um, colonialism, the practice of colonialism, the practice of slavery, um, all of those, uh, those, those ugly ways where the only person and the only people who are Full human beings, the small category, and everybody else is a is a tool, <laughs> um, an animal, so to speak. That's how we're treated, unfortunately. And and I feel as though, in some ways, our own people are treating black folk that way, particularly black folk who don't live in Shepherd's Park or who don't live in Montgomery County or who don't live in expensive homes that if you are not part of the um, elite, then you should not expect to be um, looked upon fairly or looked upon as, as, as having anything to offer. I don't think that's the American way we should be pushing. Um, there seems to be many American ways. 
But the American way that you're talking about, Vanessa, say it again, your brand. That is what we should be pushing. And right. So, so let's talk about um, what we're going let's, to – let's kind of give some anticipation for the next um, show that you're, that, that you're on. What, where should we go in our conversation next? Wait, when you come back, what do you want to come and talk about? Well, I do want to come back and talk about, um, I want to talk about relationships. I want to talk about relationships between women, amongst women. Um, As as you know, I ran, I created, uh, co-founded and ran a global women's network for seven years called the Girlfriend Group. Um, It was not. It was not intended to be what it ended up being. And what it grew into was a, that, that group was, was my PhD education. I learned so much about the human spirit and relationships amongst women, how we treat one another, what our mindsets are, what we're taught right. at home about having friends, okay, what we're taught in society about having girlfriends, and what the world was saying to us at the time in 2009, that women can't be friends. Women really can't be friends, and and we certainly can't work together. That's bull. That's bull crap. Of course it's bull crap. And it's both so, that's what I would, you, I would like to talk about. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, if you would, a leaving word for those who are listening about you and I, about our friendship. What would I, you said, what would I say to them about our friendship? I think what I would say is that, yeah, I think what I would say, if you're going to have a friend for 37 years, then you must be persistent, consistent, and loyal. And like you said earlier, you and I don't talk every day. You and I don't talk every week. We might go a couple months without talking, but when we do talk, it's just it just it's just like no time has gone by. That's a true friend. Right. Yes, absolutely. Right. absolutely. And let me say absolutely. this. Let me say this to your students, especially. Facebook friends are not friends. Say Instagram. it again. Say it again. For the up Facebook Facebook friends are not friends. Instagram followers are not your friends. That's right. Friends are people you can, friends are people that have known you through thick and thin, have known you when you had a million, have known you when you had two pennies to rub together. That's right on. Right on. You see me, you see me at my worst when I was fucking homeless. Ah! Mm-hmm. 
foolish. And you saw me at my worst when I lost my high-powered job. Two weeks after that, my husband lost his high-powered job, and we had to go on public assistance and get food stamps and get WIC to feed my baby. So this is what I mean when I say that if you're a leader, you have to be transparent and you have to have some guts and you have to cut the stupid ego. Cut it. You know that, Ron? Cut it. When I started started Black Wall Street Loudon, the first thing I said to those 21 people that I handpicked, Leave your effing ego at the door. I don't want it. There you have it. And that's, and that's the most important thing to remember, especially for those leaders who are public figures. Why do I call President Mason Ronald Mason or Ron? He's a public figure. It's nothing personal. I respect him. I respect his, his background. I respect the work that he does. I respect the equity imperative. I have some questions, critiques as a taxpayer, as an alum of UDC. And I think that we, and you all who are listening, you students, you all should remember, you are taxpayers. Whether you're citizens or not, you're still taxpayers. And these figures are public figures. You have the right to ask questions. You have the right to ask questions, and you have the right to go to other people when one person doesn't answer or if they give you bullshit answers. So let's talk next time about girlfriends developing relationships and, you know, helping helping people learn how to empower themselves so that they can speak up. Vanessa, as always, you're a superstar. Thank you for coming to my show. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks for those kind words. You know I appreciate it. And um, you always have been so welcoming and open and honest with me throughout our long friendship. And I, and I just want to let you know I sincerely appreciate that. And uh, we are we are leading by example with our long-term friendship. And I hope uh, whoever's listening has learned a little bit more about us and how we relate to one another and how we keep, how we take care of one another. Absolutely, this is wonderful. This is beautiful. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you and your husband and your children and your family and your business, and everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for being that wonderful example. Thank you, Vanessa. Good night. You're welcome. Love you. Good night. Love you, too. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody.